telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. some of the others. You seem quite unaffected. It affects us all differently. We must find her. Have you spoken to Allegra yet? No, I can't seem to find her. She's just over there in that house. Um, it was just there. It's, it's happening to you too. Get out while you can. Not until we have all the stories. And we made a promise to Allegra, wherever she is now. No, I told you to take our daughter away from here. Nathaniel, who are you talking to? Yes, wife. Yes, that's away from this place. Well, friend. It looks like he's a little more cracked than he thinks. Let's proceed. Etheric IPA Written by Jeremy Thompson Narrated by Alvin Bolling II This episode contains content that might not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Retrieving a 12-pack of Boston Lager from the display refrigerator's meager selection. Ignoring the convenience store's other four patrons, all of whom stood unmoving, gazing at the snack shelves as if slumbering on their feet. 
Campbell Hayes made his way to the register. At it, hon, inquired the waiting sales associate, an emaciated mid-fifties lonely heart. Her tone somehow both resigned and flirtatious. Palming her brunette tresses to conceal her bald spot, she made eye contact and held it, daring him to look away. Feeling like an exotic animal in an invisible cage, Campbell nodded. He handed over a 20 and collected his chain. At the gas pumps, an assortment of music genres fissured the atmosphere at top volume. It was Friday night, after all. People had places to go and edgy demeanors to maintain. Young and stupid, they'd bray at the moon until the orb turned tail. No vehicle awaited Campbell. He'd wobble strode to the store with his pals Norm and Andy from Andy's apartment just two blocks away. Unemployed, the lot of them. They'd been drinking since noonish. Too inebriated to drive, too belligerent to make the smart decision to call it a night, the trio would soon be playing ultra-violent video games and discussing various females they planned to... <clears throat> maul with the cock? Most assuredly. That's pretty much all they ever did when together. What else could they afford? Behind the store they waited, passing a pizzo, watching shards of crystal liquefy, inhaling freed vapors. Norm, six and a half feet in height, hardly contained by his beanie, wife beater, and sagging cargo shorts, sported an arrangement of facial hair that seemed clipped from an armpit. Andy, an entire foot shorter, acne-scarred beyond comparison, dressed in slacks and a button-up shirt. His scalp was shaved bald to allay recent lice fears. Astoundingly, a fresh face had joined them, a female at that. Though she hit the pipe like an old pro, she evinced none of the telltale signs of long-term methamphetamine abuse. Neither sores nor burn marks marred her countenance. Her teeth were perfectly white. Her tube-top jeans, shorts, and sandals seemed brand new. Perhaps just out of high school, she betrayed no uneasiness in the presence of men who'd been teenagers on her birth date. Noticing Campbell's arrival, Norm gestured toward the female and blurted, This is Candace. She saw us getting high and wanted a head change herself. Candace, this is Campbell. Passing the pizzo to Andy... She then turned her pair of aquamarine irised eyes toward Campbell, and with the sort of sexy, husky voice that made for the best phone sex, said, Hi. Crazy night, ain't it? Uh, I guess, he replied. Not much to do around here, though. Vehemently, she shook her head, whisking her bottle-blonde locks left and right. Right there. That's where you're wrong, man. As a matter of fact, there's these homebrewers I know. They're throwing a party. Free beer all night long. How's that sound? She said we could cruise with her, said Noah. Andy and I told her, fuck yeah, we're going. How about you? You'll give us a ride? Campbell asked Candace. And bring us back here later, too? I won't know. But my friend Hester will. Hester Vance? You know, 
the movie star. She's probably done gassing up now. I should probably get back to her. Wait, what? Inquired Andy before making with disordinant sonance an explosive fit of coughing, which damn near left his throat shredded. When that finally died down, he managed to rasp, That bitch from <coughs> Corpse Papa's 4? The, the one with the booty? Who, who got her face chopped off by her high school science teacher? That was only special effects, said Candace, as if that needed explaining. And don't let her hear you call her a bitch. She'll toss you out of her car right quick. While driving, maybe. She's not one of them prissy priss types. She grew up around here, before she moved to Hollywood. Our moms are best friends. I've known Hester since daycare. A celebrity, thought Campbell. Hot as fuck, too. Ooh, if I can get up in that pussy, I'll be a legend. Yeah, I'll go. He grunted, feigning nonchalance. Having somehow managed to claim the shotgun seat in Hester Vance's Polaris White Jaguar XJL, with Candace quietly acquiescent lodged between his two friends in the back, Campbell pretended to scrutinize the traffic before him. In reality, he ogled their driver. Indeed, Hester was a vision in a black bandage cutout buckled dress that immaculately accentuated her hips and brawless fake breasts. Her lipstick, eyeshadow, and mascara were black. She kept her lips slightly parted, revealing a tantalizing glimpse of perfect teeth, but spoke little. She'd voiced not a word of complaint upon learning of her new passengers. In fact, seemed to have no interest in them whatsoever. Maybe she'll loosen up with a few beers in her, thought Campbell. Maybe I'll get her to dance with me. <laughs> Rub my boner against her for a bit. Will that turn her on? Will I come accidentally? He glug glug some Sam Adams, as did the rear seats trio. He attempted to think of something suave to say to their driver, opened his mouth and uttered, Nothing. Desperate to impress Candace, Norman and Andy attempted to one-up one another with, I was so fucked up this one time that stories. The object of their affections, observing how they stroked the backs of their knuckles against her exposed legs, hardly seemed to hear them. The jaguar carried them from the freeway to a main street to a series of side streets. At last, they parked before a residence that Campbell actually recognized. That's the Mendelssohn home, he said aghast. Indeed, the severe angled A-frame with its green shingled roof and broken porch banister was instantly recognizable. He'd seen it in person before. On a few past occasions, in fact, his friends and he had borrowed their parents' vehicles and driven to the Mendelssohn home, planning to break into it, only to chicken out, throw a few rocks through its windows, and retreat. Its once cheerfully yellow exterior paint had long since gone drab. The stump of an oak tree carved into a rudimentary throne protruded from its weed-choked lawnscape. On this particular evening, the property's every window had been replaced, and its perennial for-sale sign was absent. Vehicles filled its driveway and both sides of the street. 
Cannonade music sounded through its walls, as did screeches and cheering. Oh, so you've heard of it, remarked Hester. From directly behind her, Andy belched and said, Shit. Everybody's heard of the Mendelssohn home. What was that dude's name? Oh, yeah. Everett Mendelssohn. Dude brought his family here from Germany back in, what, like a hundred years ago or something. He built this whole house by himself with some kind of special wood he imported. Then, from what I heard, the dude went crazy and strangulated his entire family one night. A wife and two kids, yeah? He fled or whatever and was never seen again. Then some others moved in, said Norm. That crazy bitch who stuck her hand in a blender and... After her... Those gay dudes who committed suicide together put guns in their mouths while they butt-fucked and blasted their brains every which way but loose. (laughs) But loose. Get it? Ah, There were some other residents, too, a real bunch of nutbags. No one ever stayed for all that long, though. Turning to lock eyes with Candace, Campbell asked, You actually know people who moved in here? On purpose? (laughs) Are they psychos or what? Well, she answered. They want to be writers, so probably. Still, their beer is amazing. They make this... What do they call it? Etheric IPA? It's so good that you can't stop guzzling it. Seriously, I've fallen asleep with a mug in my hand, woken up in the morning, and finished it. I'm practically salivating just thinking about it. Come on, Campbell groaned. No beer can be so damn delicious that it justifies visiting this cursed place. Turning back to their driver, he said, Maybe you should just take us back where you found us, Hester. Uh, Miss Vance. She put her hand on his arm. She's touching me, Campbell thought, electrified, his every fear ever nest for the moment. Don't be such a pussy, said the starlet, bending her mouth into the sexiest sort of sneer. We'll go in for a little bit. Drink a little, mingle, get to know each other. It'll be fun. Her every word made him quiver. Okay, he said wanting to place his hand over hers and freeze that moment for an eternity. You two go ahead, said Andy. Us three need to chill back and... mm, tailgate for a minute. From his pocket came the pizzo, its clear glass gone clouded. Campbell had never much enjoyed meth. Apparently, Hester shared his aversion. Well, shall we? He asked her, already hurling his door open. They were greeted at the entrance by a hulking, swarthy figure. A bald, strong man dressed in a wife beater and two tight jorts. His platinum chain terminated in diamond pacifier. He had a burlap sack in his hand and a serious expression on his face. So wide was he that he occluded the sight of the raucous scene behind him. Not a word of greeting did the guy utter, though half of his unibrow rose inquisitive. 
Campbell waited for Hester to say something, to say anything. But the starlet only settled a tender palm upon the small of his back, as if he were a ventriloquist dummy she might spur into speech. Apparently she was correct in that assumption, for Campbell heard himself uttering, Uh, hi there. We're here for the, uh, party? Dipping his hand into his sack, the doorman said, Tie these around your heads. The experience starts in the basement. Then you work your way up. And at Evan blindfolds, Hester and Campbell glanced at each other and shrugged. Passed off to an unknown female who seized each by the hand they were led through a throng of celebrants who proved quite liberal with their groping. Hey! Campbell protested 22 times as his ass and genitals were rudely fondled by unknowns. At last they reached a railing. The basement's down there! Their guide cooed most wickedly, hardly discernible over the bass-heavy music, before retreating to where she'd arrived from. You can take your blindfolds off at the bottom, were her parting words. With that task completed, the first thing that seized Campbell's focus was the black light paint on the walls. Planets and constellations, pentagrams and swastikas, pictographs and unsettling scribbles, all built of eye-scalding neon. Feeling like a stranger in a strange land, like he's abandoned Earth entirely, he turned toward Hester. Grinning her movie star grin, hollering to be heard, she urged, Let's grab ourselves some drinks! Pushed to the site's periphery, the paraphernalia that had furnished the suds, spoons, funnels, siphons, fermenters, and kettles, sat unwashed, ignored, dormant. So too were their hops, malt, and yeast scattered about, and open boxes exposing hundreds of empty bottles, sentinels whose glass mouths seemed to wail frozen agony. The main attractions, however, could be sighted beside plastic cup stacks, atop freestanding slabs of tropical hardwood. Filling glass pitchers, wearing crowns of foam, Clouded amber social lubrication awaited. Dozens of strangers crowded in from all sides, sampling. Dressed in formal wear and hipster duds, they sipped and guzzled with faces that seemed half familiar. Campbell and Hester claimed cups of their own. They filled them and downed them. Just as Campbell went to pour himself another sample of a concoction that he found quite flavorful, the starlet moved her face toward his as if leaning for a kiss. I'm off to find the bathroom, she shouted. See you in a minute. In the consciousness blurring dreamlike grip of his ever-mounting intoxication, Campbell wished to trail after her. Following her into the bathroom, he'd have demanded a blowjob as she pissed. Instead, he slung back another cup full, belched, and gasped as an icy finger met his lower spine. That's my Ruger LCP, hissed an unfamiliar voice in his ear. Your what? Campbell queried, rapidly blinking as if that might clear away this fresh incongruity. My gun, dumbass. Tell me where you freak stashed my brother, or I'll fill you full of quick death. He's been gone for weeks now. Ever since we partied here that one night, 
Bitch, I've only just arrived. How should I know where your asshole brother went? Seized by an adrenaline burst, Campbell revolved on his heels and snatched her firearm away. His waylayer, an overweight, frizzy gal dressed in overalls. Non-cognizant of that development, squeezed the airspace where her trigger had previously dwelt. Campbell drew back his arm as if to throw a punch, then thought better of it. Relax, baby, he said. Drink some beer, ask around. I'm keeping this, though. Come at me again, and I'll cap your stupid ass. He pocketed the pistol, then poured himself another cup full. Retaining the mostly full pitcher, he commenced an ascent that carried him out of the basement. Reaching an expansive living room, he saw modular sectional sofas ringing its inner perimeter and more blacklight paint on the walls. Many slouched imbibers filled the floor space with no Hester in sight. Sighing, Campbell claimed a spot at the end of the nearest sofa. In the corner of his eye, right beside him, a warthog and a nude her suit fellow, possessed of matching black hippie hairstyles, were locked in what seemed an erotic embrace. Quickly, Campbell realized that the warthog was, in fact, goring the man's abdomen with its tusks. Gore fountained up with reckless abandon, painting the man's countenance crimson as he mutely shrieked. When Campbell swiveled his head, however, the two evanesced to be replaced by a pair of elderly men who fancied themselves horror writers. They wore hair metal band t-shirts and blue jeans with the knees carefully scissored away, bitching that younger authors should be censored. Those cretins possess no tact at all. They bored Campbell with conservative convo. So he lurched back to standing. Threading clustered drinkers, he located the downstairs bathroom. No Hester therein. He searched the kitchen and dining room and encountered only animated, shouting strangers. What happened to Andy and Norm, he muttered. And that one bitch, that Candace. Did everyone leave without me? <sighs> That's some bullshit right there. He found a bohemian curved staircase and used it to reach the second floor. After chugging what remained in his cup, he hurled it away and began to guzzle from the pitcher. His vision doubled, then quadrupled. Foamy drool slipped down his chin. The upstairs bathrooms and bedrooms were unoccupied, though the omnipresent blacklights were intact as were the unsettling wall motifs. Every bit of furniture had been shattered therein, as had the toilets, counters, and mirrors. While he peered into each chamber, a voice in Campbell's mind voiced narration. This is where Mark Clement and Spencer Samuel swallowed bullets mid-orgasm. This is where Edith Pickens chopped the limbs off of her newborn and then dried him in the back. This is where Alice Mendelssohn's death streak dwindled into crushed larynx. This is where Phil Rodina ate a claw hammer. 
It went on and on for some time, furnishing many grim fates that Campbell hadn't heard of. The very last bedroom that he checked exhibited an open door at its far end. Pitch black was the space beyond it. Stumbling over torn bedding, bits of oak, scattered silverware, and broken playthings, he approached the aperture. Cheers, he grunted, lingering at the threshold. Upending his pitcher, he drained the rest of its contents, that which didn't stream down his neck and drench his shirt anyway. He stepped through the door and found himself back in the basement. The place reeked to high heaven. Every reveler had collapsed ungainly. Artlessly posed in a lake of amalgamated urine, vomitus, and excrement. Corpses stared, sightless through expansive pupils. There was Hester, face down in the lap of a stranger. There were Candace and Norm, their foreheads pressed together, frozen in an embrace on the floor with Andy nearby. There was Campbell's own body, yet gripping an empty pitcher, slumped at the base of a freestanding bar. Poisoned, he muttered, as the realization that he'd become a specter sank in. We never should have come here. This place is wicked, and everyone knows it. <laughs> Pussy made us idiots. Ah, just like always. Standing over his shed physique, he wept for all that he'd lost, and all that he might have become. The music grew louder and louder though no speakers were evident. His vision blurred until all seemed liquid static. Sensation drained from his limbs. The staircase faded into nihility. Pushing corpses, hardwood bar slabs, and brewing supplies atop one another, forming piles that soon reached the ceiling. The basement contracted. Him then now a prisoner, with slack, dead countenances glaring into his eyes, evincing frozen agony. Campbell screamed, End it already! Send me to whatever afterlife my friends went to! But neither heaven nor hell awaited him. Indeed, no realm so comprehensible. Arcane symbols of frigid neon instead flowed from the walls to swallow him whole. You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Etheric IPA was written by Jeremy Thompson and was previously published in Brutality by The Evil Cookie Publishing in 2020. Jeremy Thompson is the indie horror fictionist whose mind and fingers united to birth The Phantom Cabinet, Let's Destroy Investutech, Silent Minority, 
the land of broken sky. Toby Chalmers commits career suicide. Toby Chalmers hits a new low and the forever big top. His stories have appeared in magazines and anthologies such as Year's Best Horror Volumes 2 and 4, Into the Darkness Volume 1, Dark Fuse, Journal of Experimental Fiction, Young Mag, and Brutality, and being collected in Sweet Chuckling Morbidity, and The Fetus and Other Stories. A San Diego State University graduate, Jeremy resides in Oceanside, California. This episode was narrated by Alvin Bowling II. He is a mixed race, black and Japanese, American actor, singer-rapper, social justice advocate, Virginia native, voice actor, voiceover artist, and the creator and host of the Ghost Light Theatre podcast. He is also a 2021 graduate of Virginia Commonwealth University with a Bachelor of Arts in Theatre Performance. Head to alvinthesecond.com for more details on his projects. Jimmy Horrors and the Entity were performed by James Barnett. Nathaniel was performed by Brian Jeans. This is just another reminder that we are open for specific submissions. We are currently accepting Halloween-themed stories for our Halloween special. We are also accepting ghost and paranormal stories for a secret project. So if you're a fan of Gothic, head over to our nightsendpodcast.com for all details and to submit via our form. Thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.